Hey, so again, if uh, you're joining with us today, just awesome that you can be with us. We are week two in a new series looking at the parables of Jesus. Uh, you know, we just love Jesus. Just love him. He's the exact representation of God's being, according to Hebrews 1. Like, he's exactly what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. In him, the fullness of the deity dwells. Like, he's just, he's every, and so his words really matter. And so we're just working our way through these stories that have 2,000 years worth of dust on them on some levels, cultural dust, where we have to kind of peel some stuff back. And as I shared last week, uh, the opening, the very first parable that Jesus told was the parable of the sower, which is really a parable about the soil of our hearts. And it's about, and it's in response to the question, why are you talking about, like, why are you talking in parables? And he's saying, because people that have soft hearts will hear these stories and it will change them. And so as we open the word of God this morning and we look at a very familiar story, probably the most famous parable ever told, my gentle challenge and my invitation is to have very soft hearts to hear what God may want to say to you. As you cycle through these stories, as you look at them over and over again, they, they actually go deeper if you let them. There's more to discover rather than just um, kind of switching off because you've heard the story before and you know where it's going, right? So if, uh, with that sort of introduction, we're going to look at a story now. And the, the, the last week's parable was in response to uh, a change of tack, like why are you speaking in parables? And he tells the story. Uh, this is in response to the question that the Pharisees asked, where they began to mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in response to this religious outfit, the religious system of the time saying, why are you hanging out with these wrong sort of people, the wrong crowd? He tells these three stories, uh, the parable of the lost coin uh, and the uh, parable of uh, the lost sheep. And then he tells the parable of the lost son. Or it's actually the parable of the lost sons. There's two sons. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to look at the younger son and then next week we're going to look at the older son and just um, you know spoiler alert there's there's a younger son and an older son in all of us there's a younger son and an older son in all of us and so let's just have the humility to hear the words of Jesus and really see ourselves so this is act one the lost younger son and then next week we're going to look at the lost older brother if you've got your Bibles uh, it's going to be on the screens but, but it's so good to have your Bibles with you feel free to turn to Luke chapter 15 And so then Jesus continued after telling these first two stories, and he says this, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring uh, ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Beautiful story, powerful story, even with uh, the 2,000 years of uh, contextual dust that has gathered. So let's just work our way through this passage and let it speak to us and try and capture. This, this parable is more extreme than you could ever imagine. Like every statement is, is more extreme. So let's have a quick look here. So the first thing that he, uh, the, the son does is he goes to his father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. So basically back in the day, if you've got some sons, the older son will get two-thirds of the property because of the responsibility the older son would carry for the family, and the younger son would get one-third. Now, I'm the, elder, uh, I'm the older of two brothers. I've got my younger brother, Pete. Uh, you're going to see a baby photo of him a little bit later in the sermon. But um, I've been thinking a lot about this. I don't know who gets the better deal because like, I'm pretty happy with the two-thirds of the estate. But there's a lot of responsibility when you're the older son in this context in terms of looking after the family and all the rest of it. Um, and so you know, maybe the one-third is a better deal because you don't have to worry about too much. But basically, this, is, this young man comes to his dad and says, uh, I want my share of the inheritance. And what he's done here is just, again, incredibly humiliating and puts so much shame on his father. He's like, basically in this context, he, like it would be pretty rough if I said that to my parents or to my in-laws now. Like, hey, you know, you're awesome, Nan and Phil, but kind of keen for my inheritance now. So if we could sort that out, that'd be great. You know, it'd be pretty, like, pretty rough and uh, arrogant and just a horrible thing to do. Uh, because basically you're saying, I wish, I wish you were dead. Because then, you know, ching, ching, you know, I wish you were dead. This is exactly what this kid is saying to his dad. I just wish you were dead. Give me the money. And uh, so what he does is he divides, it says he divides his property between them. So he's like, he, like for the original hearers, immediately this is so shocking. It's just like total gasp central if you're listening to this 2,000 years ago. It should be the same for us today. It's like, What? Opening riff is just monstrous. He, you want your dad to die? And then he's like, okay, I'll do it. Like, the response of the father should have been, get out of my house. But the father, immediately he, Jesus begins to point out what the father's like, what our heavenly father is like. So he's like, okay. So he, and our Māori people understand this more than our Pākehā, but like, he divides the land like it's this land that's been part of their family for generations and, he's, and they're deeply connected to the land. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you a third of my land. No longer mine. You can do with it what you want. And the, the son goes and sells that land. Like the only reason he shoots off to go have a wild time is because he's liquidated his assets, right? He's sold the land. Some other person now owns a third of what his father used to, used to be his. Like he's starting to get it, eh? It's huge. It's like, what? Uh, he divided his property. Uh, the word property in the Greek, there's bios. It's the, literally the word life. He, he, like, he rips his life apart for his sons. A Middle Eastern patriarch would never respond like that. He is enduring the worst thing that any person can go through, and that's rejected love. Right? We know, some of you know this feeling. Like there is no more painful 
experience in the world then rejected love. And this is what the son does to his father. Don't want your love. Don't want you. I want you to sell it all. The shame that he is heaping on his father cannot be overstated. Incredible shame that was brought upon this family, specifically the father. He would have been utterly heartbroken. Verse 13, so not long after that, the younger son got all together, all he had had and sent for a distant land and they squandered his wealth and wild living. So again, we used to people leaving home. I remember when I was 18 years old, I left home, packed my Holden Commodore up with all my possessions, surfboard, clothes, snowboard, that was about it, guitar thing in there, and then drove from Wellington to Auckland to study at Bible College and it was like, goodbye, you know, family, I'm off, I'm leaving home. Uh, and that's normal for us. Like I said, in fact, we, we take the mickey out of people that don't leave home after a certain point. You know, we joke about him living in your mum's basement and all the rest of it still and playing PlayStation at 40 and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you know. But, but again, in this culture, this is hugely unusual. These are, this is a village. This is family that stay together. You would learn your father's craft and the generations would continue living together in the context of family and village. So for someone to, to say, I don't want you, Dad. I want, your, I want the inheritance now. I want the land. I'm going to sell the land. I'm going to take. Now, then not only that, I'm going to shame, put, put even more shame on your family by, leap, by rejecting you completely and then going having a wild time, wild living. Now, wild living, let's unpack that, eh? Anyone want to give uh, any ideas about what that entails? Any uh, personal illustrations here? Uh, I mean, we've all... <laughs> Everyone's probably got a story or two to tell about uh, a few seasons of wild living. Uh, but uh, this, this man, this young man went and, uh, and, uh, and squandered his wealth on wild living. His, his brother later, and we're going to look at this passage next week, points out that a chunk of this money just went to prostitutes. Okay, So it's not like, hey, you know, I'm having a gin, gin and tonic at the gin trap you know, and have maybe one too many or whatever. And it's like, no, this guy is like seriously you know, just burning it on all sorts of crazy stuff. And then he gets into trouble, he runs out of money, and, uh, and he uh, had spent everything. There's a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in need. So then he goes and hires himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. Another contextual thing around like pigs and just how richly unclean that, you know, that animal is for a Jewish person Hard for us to imagine, like, to, I'm, I've been trying to think all week of like, what's an analogy we could use in today's society that would give that same sense of shock? And probably like getting involved in sex trafficking or, or some horrific industry like that would be like the equivalent reaction we would have if we heard of someone who got in such a pickle that they're like, I'm going to go do that to try and just get some income. Like, it would be that sort of reaction for the Jewish listeners. Like, really. Like, that's wrong. You don't do that. Like, you are really now just fully, the whole heritage of the Jewish nation you're just saying no to because of the need that you have. And he's just getting more and more desperate um, for a Jew to have anything to do with pigs is bad enough. For him to be feeding them and hungry enough to, to want their food is just shocking, truly shocking. And so then he comes to his senses, verse 17, and says, How many of my father's hired and servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He comes to his senses. Some of us remember coming to our senses 
We're like, oh boy. And, and can I just say, friends, you do not have, like God in His infinite love for you and out of total respect for your free will, will allow you to, to go as far as you want to go. Like He's just going to give you the freedom to go wherever you want to go. But friends, you do not have to wait to the most extreme point in your life to come to your senses. You can have some wisdom that says, I want to, it stops today. Like this is it, I'm no further. He's going to respect your free will. But you can come to your senses and just go, this is just not working. (laughs) And look what it's doing to my soul. Look what it's doing to my family. Look what it's doing to my children, whatever it may be. You can come to your senses. And so this man comes to his senses And basically, he's got some options now. The two options for him, uh, he can either go back to his father and become a slave and just like come into that place. And again, at least he's going to be fed. Or the second option, which is definitely better, is I'm going to become a hired servant. And now hired servant, servant would not live in the house itself. It would live in the local village. But at least he'll be getting fed and uh, he could probably save some money if he was a hired servant to give some sort of restitution for all the money and all the damage that he's done to his father with all the land and all the rest of it. And so he starts to, um, he starts to kind of work out, you know, he also um, rehearses a little speech. He's like, here's what I'll say. Now, how many of us have had little speeches we've rehearsed back in the day? You know, oh, you know, okay, Jen, sit down. Like, um, so... I was, you know, I was at the mall and I saw these jeans and like, look, uh, you know, I I, I need new jeans. You know I've needed new jeans for a long time and like amazing sale was happening. Like, give me a percentage you think that's a good deal. 30%, no, higher, go for 40, 50%, 50% off. So these jeans, which probably would have cost about 200 bucks, were only $100, isn't amazing? And like, as you're driving home with the new jeans, you're rehearsing the speech in your head. That's normally not, it's not normally a closed scenario for me. It's normally, I may have bought a few more speakers or there's a little, little amplifier in its way from the States or whatever it may be. So he starts to kind of work. Um, and often, this is what, all this whole parable is packed with such massive insight about human nature. Because we're, we're, we're like the younger brother for, for any normal Christian because often there's this deep thing of like, I've got to get to a certain level of goodness before I go to church or hang out with Jesus or before I can really sing the worship song without feeling like a giant hypocrite. By the way, original song from Matt, that last song we sang. How cool is that? Um, sorry, total <laughs> side note. Um, Right, we, we, the battle of the human being is to believe God's mercy and goodness is true. That it's not about our goodness, that it's about His, like we say every week in communion. But it's a wrestle, it's a battle, right? The number of times, I can, you know, it's like folks don't come back to church, and I'm like, well, what's happening with them? And they're like, they're falling off the wagon, and they have a bit of a mare. And I'm like, this is the perfect time to come back to church. You don't have to get to a certain level. I'm, you know, acceptable Christianity or acceptable behaviour morally or acceptable behaviour in terms of our society before you come to church. This is why Jesus is saying this parable. It's those that know they need the mercy of God that you can run home again. You can just run home because we know what's coming, right? We know what's coming, but this guy doesn't. And there's this younger brother in all of us that feels guilty about certain things or about our past or whatever it may be. And there's this thing of like, oh, 
if I can just kind of, if I sort this bit out, and then I say this little speech to God, and if I do it, it's like, no, you don't need any of that. Let's see what happens. So he goes to go, he got up, went to his father, and this is stunning. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. There's this beautiful picture um, from the, uh, this lovely artist, Charlie Maxey, who, um, a British artist, very wild, crazy, lovely guy. And, uh, and this is his picture of this moment. And it's just filled with emotion. I love this picture. I just think it's absolutely stunning. And a lot of people have made, he's made a whole lot of um, sculptures that have got similar ideas of the father embracing the son. And there's a lot going on there, even in terms of like what the son's wearing, the energy that the younger son has. There's just nothing there. He's utterly broken. It's just so, I find that so moving. Um, so we see he, his father's looking. He's looking for him. And when he's a long way off, his father saw him and ran to his son. So uh, it's very shameful for a man to run in this culture. And, uh, and what motivated to, uh, the father to run uh, towards his son? Uh, it's important that we understand in this moment there's a first century Jewish custom. And Kenneth Bailey, the author of The Cross and the Prodigal, uh, explains that if a Jewish son lost his inheritance among Gentiles and then returned home, the community would perform a ceremony called the Kazaza. The kizaza. Cool name. The Kazaza. You'll get Kazazard if you're gone and taken all your money and squandered it with the Gentiles like this guy had done. And what they would do is they would break a large pot in front of you in the ceremony. And they would say, you are now cut off from the people and we reject you. Uh, and so you could be maybe attached to the community and, and maybe people with compassion of you, but you would be rejected from re-entering into the community. So uh, scholars reckon that the, not only did the father run out of, you know, again, the original hearers would have got all this. Like, oh, he's running so that he does not have to go through the shame and humiliation that according to our community he deserves. So what he would have to do back in the day is with all the robes, that they'll have to hitch up all these robes to run and you'll be bearing your knees, which is very, very shameful in this culture, uh, so that you could run towards the sun, so that you could embrace him. And so, again, the father, had, the, the incredible thing about the story is it just keeps on layering the fact that the father keeps on taking the full shame that should have fallen on the son and was showing the entire community that his son was welcome home. Throughout the whole story, the father absorbs the shame and then at the climactic point of this parable, uh, he exchanges his shame, he embraces him, he kisses him. There's this emotional abandon because of the joy of his son coming home. And so his, he's trying to get the speech out and then the father interrupts him. You don't need the speech, mate. <laughs> father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. So here's a kid that's lost everything. Put the robe on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. You know, like, oh, Jen's in the room. I love going to Burger King after, after church on Sunday. She often finds little packets in the, in the car. And, and I hate it when she asks, oh, what have you had for lunch? Because Sundays are very busy for us. And so, like, she often goes to in-laws, my, my in-laws for lunch and that. And I, I love, I love... It's like my little reward for <laughs> preaching well. Have a little, and I've also got the Burger King app, so like, so I always get a coupon because you get a you get a lot more bang for buck with the coupon. Come on, that one's for free. Um, so, 
My point is that that eating some steak or you know or whatever the burger compatti is, miscellaneous meat and and, and flavors and stuff. That's kind of normal. You know, back in the day, like, if you went through your lifetime and ate and got to be part of a party that had a fattened calf, like, that's once in a lifetime, maybe twice if you really were living the dream. That's such a rare thing. Like, again, original hearers are like, whoa, fattened calf? Like, it's that level party that we're having, but that he's coming home? Like, a once in a lifetime, splurged all, like, hardcore celebration going on? Yes, that is what happening. He couldn't even get his speech out. Grace, rings, robes, food, welcome, embrace. And he, that's what he's receiving. That's what he's receiving. This is a place of joy. This is a place of celebration because my son's come home. Now, um, I've talked a lot about my grandfather on my mother's side, real hero of mine in terms of just the spiritual legacy he left our family. Uh, you know, uh, you'll remember, you know, he, he's the guy that prayed. Once he came to faith, he prayed every day for the non-Christian members of his family every single day and eventually started putting lines through the back of his little diary as over the decades people came to faith. Just stunning, stunning example of a godly man filled with the fruit of the Spirit. On my dad's side... Um, I had this wild grandfather who I adored. So here's some photos of my grandfather on my um, on my dad's side, and um, <laughs> he's you can just see it, right? He's so much fun. He's all kinds of crazy. Like the cheeky bit of Harvey that you get is through this, uh, and I'm named. This is Samuel Graydon Harvey. It's my name. That's my grandfather who I'm named after. And so uh, he uh, was so much fun. Now, he became a Christian shortly before he died. Um, and my dad led him to the Lord, which is so cool. Uh, he very genuinely opened his heart and, and he received Jesus as his saviour before he died. Um, but before then, he was just... Um, and it, my thing is, a lot of people think that you can't have fun if you follow Jesus. Jesus would have made my grandfather more wild and more fun and all the rest of it. He doesn't dial that down when you meet Jesus. It goes up. Like Anyway, so uh, I got on really well with my grandfather. And when we were eight years old, we left to go to South America. But up to that point, between the, the years of zero and eight, and I was the very first grandchild on for my grand for Samuel Graydon Harvey Senior. So like big deal, and I just got on so well with him. We clicked, and I just adored hanging out with him because he was just so much fun. We had so much fun together. It was just all, and all my memories are of him is just fun, like just total silly fun. Now as I'm an adult now, I realise that he you know he was uh, he was in Wanganui and he was on like the um, the local power board and had a big factory there and he was like a you know, kind of prominent businessman in the Wanganui circles and all that. But um, as far as I was concerned, he was just fun. He was silly and fun. And so then eight years old, we moved to South America. And after we went to South America, um, his, he retired and then his business slowly got dismantled, which he found heartbreaking. Uh, and he got diabetes and got very sick, probably because he had enjoyed making the homebrew quite a bit. Um, and, there's, uh, he, and he just, he got very depressed I didn't know that, but he, they came over to visit uh, South America uh, when we were there, and I was shocked at what I saw, because it was just like he was a shell of who he used to be, and he would just wander down to the local pub, and the only Spanish he knew was, dos cervezas, por favor, two beers, please, uh, and he would just go to the pub, dos cervezas, por favor, smash back a couple of beers, and maybe another dos cervezas, por favor, and, uh, and it was just really sad, um, but we still had some fun, and it was like kind of okay. 
And then when we came back from South America when I was 11 years old, uh, he was in hospital. Uh, he, no, he was at home, but shortly after he went to hospital. And I'll never forget driving to his house when we came back from South America to see him for the first time. I was so excited about seeing him. I just couldn't wait. Uh, and then when I saw my grandfather for the first time after being in South America, I, I will never forget, like he was so sick, but he, my a grandmother was amazed because he got out of the chair in his own, like just he, he wanted to get out and to see us. He was so excited about seeing us. And so we walk in the, up the driveway and I see him like hobbling towards us. And I was so shocked at what I saw. My, everything in me wanted to run up and embrace him, but I was shocked by what I saw as an 11-year-old and I just clung on to my dad. And I didn't run up and, and give him the giant hug that I wanted to. And it felt like he was distant. And he died about six months later. And I've always been really gutted about that moment. Really gutted that that's what happened. And about four years ago, I had this really vivid dream. Like vivid. I remember it clearly. And everything of that scene replayed itself but instead of me being distant and holding on to my father, I ran to my grandfather and I gave him the hugest hug. And it was just like, now, I, I don't know theologically what's happening with that dream. I, I just know it healed me. I just know it healed me. And Jesus told this story to heal the hearts of those who were listening. Because those that were listening had a view of God that was not what he's like. He, Jesus told this story to heal the hearts of the listeners who had a view of God about him being distant and angry and you had to do certain things to please him. Jesus told this story to heal the hearts of you and me so that we would know that the heavenly Father runs to us and embraces us even at our lowest point. How cool is that? Not only that, but he's speaking to a, to a community in exile. They're not, they're, like it's, they're technically home because it's their land, but it's been led, it's been overthrown by the Roman force and they've been exiled in Babylon and all this stuff. And Jesus is saying, you can still come home. You can still come home even though the land is gone. Maori people, you know, you know, there's this whole thing in our history. So we can still come home. It begins by coming to our heavenly Father. That's not to say that there's not justice needed and that one day he's going to do that and we're going to fight for that in the present. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, blah, 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 all of that. But it begins by coming home and feeling the embrace of our heavenly Father and going, first and foremost, my home is in the arms of a heavenly Father who loves me even when I've had my nose in the trough. Right? My, 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 my face in that trough, I, I can come home and he'll embrace me. He'll embrace me. Jesus, the one telling that story, has great authority to tell it because he is going to be the one that takes that shame upon himself. He's going to have the garment, you know, that garment that gets placed on the He's going to have his garment ripped off on our behalf. He's going to suffer the shame that you and I should have borne in love to take it upon himself. And it says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why? For the joy set before him. John Piper's an amazing insight on this. He says, you know, when Jesus saw the cross, he looked through the cross and saw you and me. And he saw you and me coming home. 
And so for that joy of folks this morning saying, yes, I want to come home, he endured the shame we should have taken, and it was joy for him. Why? Because it's like there's going to be a bunch of people one Sunday in Bay Vineyard that are going to come home. And, and throughout 2,000 years, people have been coming home. Not because they've, they've finally behaved well enough to go to church, because they've gone, it's just, I've come to my senses. I want to come home. I want to meet my Heavenly Father. I finish with this. Um, Billy Graham um, passed away a number of years ago now. And at his funeral, his daughter Ruth Graham shared just an incredibly powerful story about uh, the love of her father, Billy. Um, and Ruth Graham, the, you, you won't get this bit because I want to try to keep the video a bit short, but um, she discovered after 21 years of marriage that her husband of 21 years had been unfaithful and, uh, and it devastated her life. And then she went on to uh, make some choices that weren't too great. And so anyway, she's, let's just uh, play on this if you don't mind, Ian. And this is a lovely story of God's um, redeeming nature. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it'd be a good idea for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else.
The whole parable has an emphasis on the Father's costly love, scandalous grace for every one of us. The only thing that is on our side of the table is to have the humility and the honesty to come home, to acknowledge we need him, to acknowledge we need to come home, to have the humility and the honesty to say, I need to come, I need him. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need to come home. And they're not little things. God doesn't violate that part of our lives. And this doesn't get any easier the older you journey with Jesus. Some of you have been following him faithfully for many decades. We've got to keep our hearts soft. Hashtag parable of the sower. Keep our hearts soft. So we would have the humility and the honesty to say, I need him. Humility to walk home and the honesty to say, I've made some mistakes, I need your grace and mercy. And the beautiful thing is you just begin. Like it's just it's not like that's a huge journey. It's like a few little steps in that direction, and you just see God running. And you, yeah, boy, come on. This is great. Great choice. He's just like, let's keep our hearts soft, friends. And some of us this morning need to deal with the pride that holds us back from being close to God and coming home. Just got to deal with the pride. Like pride's the, from Genesis 2 onwards, Genesis 3 onwards, it's pride that keeps on screwing up the human condition in terms of our relationship with God. I don't need it. I've sorted it all out. Or, you know, I don't know what, I'm going to try and work it out on my own or whatever it may be. It's pride. We've got to, we've got to, that's the thing that needs to die and we can, come, we can come home with humility and honesty and discover a God that runs and embraces us and, and, and speaks those words over us, welcome home, hide and lie, welcome home. Let's celebrate we are back together. Jesus tells a story to remind us what God is like, what God is like. He has not changed. He is the same today. And for some of us this morning, we need to come home. We need to hear this parable and we just need to come home. We need to humble ourselves and say, yeah, I need to come home. And some of us have been doing things uh, that we're ashamed of. But the, the glorious truth today is that God doesn't want to make you feel that shame anymore. He actually wants to lift it off you, take it upon himself, set you free. You don't have to feel that anymore. Hallelujah. That's the truth. I love what um, um, Sharon said in communion a number of weeks ago. Uh, that uh, God's intent and from the very beginning of the Bible is that we would not feel shame. We would not feel shame. From the moment they sinned, they were naked and ashamed. But before that, there was no shame. God's heart in creating us was not, was, he doesn't want us to feel that. And so then he's done everything he can to help us move us from places of guilt and fear to grace and freedom, from places of shame to places of mercy and freedom. It's just like, this, that's what he does. And so this morning, there's an invitation. God is standing before you this morning saying, would you come home? Would you come home? And so I know that this, is, uh, this can be quite a big moment for some of us. It's like, yeah, I want to come home. But as I said earlier, there's a, also a bit of prodigal son in all of us, right? We, it's like we want to do things our own way. And God will let us. It doesn't work, though. It doesn't work. It may work in the short term, but in the long term, it costs. And God's invitation is that we would pay the cost in the short term to live life in the long term. The enemy's desire is that we would feel life in the short term and we'll pay the price in the long term. 
here on earth. And so uh, let's stand together. I'd love just to um, uh, give us some space just to... um, Give us some space just to reflect on this story and to allow God to minister his love to us and, uh, and to give us some space if we feel like, oh man, it's time I came home, that we would um, do that. We will come home this morning.